0: If you want to know a person's character, someone once said to me, you just need to watch how they treat their juniors at work. If you want to know a person's character, someone else once said, you just need to look through their internet browsing history. If you want to know a person's character, I have been told, you just need to see what's on their bank statement. I've heard dozens of pieces of wisdom like that over the years. What they have in common is that they speak to the small and often secret ways in which our attitudes towards big things are revealed. And there are few things bigger than these three topics of money, sex and power. They are unavoidable realities to life as we live it. They are infused into our relationships and our society and our culture. Used well, used rightly as God intended, they are good things. Good for us, good for our neighbours, good for the world. Used badly, used wrongly, not as God intended, they can cause great harm. It's why the Bible has quite a lot to say about them, implicitly. And explicitly, I don't think I need to take the time to argue how relevant these aspects of life are. They are things that our contemporary culture is grappling with, finding problems with how we seem to be doing things now and seeking better ways in which we could do things in the future. Here is my contention then. Here is what I hope we will gain from this little series. I hope we'll see that God's wisdom in the Bible, shaped by the gospel, gives us principles to apply, which are good and life-giving. Now, let me say just something about how this will work. Uh, Believe it or not, I used to assist with a marriage preparation course that we run here at All Souls. And once I was asked to lead the session on money and finances, At the end of the course, we had a Q&A time and one person in particular was disappointed with what I'd said because they felt that I'd been too vague. They wanted clear answers to specific questions. Should we have a joint bank account? How much should we spend on one another? How much should we spend on ourselves? I suggested that they reflected on the Bible and on the marriage vows that they were preparing to say. All that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you. I suggested they could apply godly wisdom for their own circumstances from there. This proved a further disappointment, such that this person's feedback form read, The session on money and finances should have been led by someone more intuitively appropriate. Well, whether I was unintuitively appropriate or intuitively inappropriate, I will never know. But I am resolved here to take a similar approach to what I did then. This is not a time to be prescriptive necessarily. I'm not wanting to draw up a list of do's and don'ts, not wanting us to form some rules or checklists for guarding our hearts with regards to money, sex and power. Instead, I hope that we'll come away with some principles for us to apply. I hope we'll see the intentions of God and the character of God revealed in the word of God about these things. And today, money. Uh, We're in Deuteronomy chapter 8, and we've got two principles to draw from it, two principles to guide our attitudes towards money and wealth. And I suggest if we've got these two principles in place, then much of the rest of the Bible's teaching around money comes into clearer focus. The first principle is that of ownership ownership. Uh, We're diving into the deep end of Deuteronomy. Uh, So here, very briefly, is the story so far. The people of Israel had been in slavery in Egypt. Through the exodus, they were delivered out of slavery. In their rebellion, they had spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And now, in his grace, the Lord is about to deliver them into the promised land. And Moses gets up to speak and tells them what they need to know as they go into the land of promise. And so we pick it up in Deuteronomy 8 and verse 1. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. It's hard to guess the atmosphere among god's people at that time perhaps for me the closest i've come to that was just before earning my first ever paycheck i'd had some wilderness years as a student where my residency fees were higher than my student loan and my overdraft could only grow so big things were tight it is tough having little and struggling to make ends meet So it was with a genuine sense of expectation as well as relief when I knew that paycheck was going to land into my bank account. Well, that's trivial compared to where God's people were in the time of Deuteronomy. They'd been slaves, brutally oppressed and kept in forced labor. And then for four decades, they would lived in a wilderness surviving literally day by day. In human terms, they were hopeless. They were utterly dependent. So hear it in the words of Moses from verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Lost and wandering, they'd been led by the Lord. Needy and hungry, they had been fed by the Lord. Manna, this strange heavenly food that the Lord had provided for them to eat each day, it showed them that they were dependent on God as the provider of all things. And the lesson was about more than just food. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. There's something worse than having nothing. It's life without God, without his word, without his saving action. So their dependence physically was discipline for them spiritually. It showed them their need for God and his word and ultimately his salvation. This time of discipline was preparation, because things were about to change for the people. They were on the verge of possessing land for the first time. They'd soon be able to build houses, not for their Egyptian slave owners to dwell in, but for them themselves to occupy. They would soon be able to work their own land and expect to reap their own harvest. They'd soon expect to enjoy the fruits of their labour for themselves. And I wonder for you, what do you think? Good news? Suffering finished? Satisfaction beginning? The end of trouble? The beginning of the good life? Well, yes, those troubles would be coming to an end. But here's where Deuteronomy chapter 8 is so provocative, where it so challenges our attitudes. From the Lord's perspective, spiritually speaking, The promised land was a dangerous place. After 400 years of slavery and 40 years in the wilderness, you might think lesson learned, discipline done. But the Lord says, be careful. Verse 11, be careful. See it from God's perspective for a moment. Which situation do you think is better for their spiritual life? To leave an absolute dependence on God, relying on him to protect and preserve and sustain them, and to depend day by day on the food he gives them, or to have their own supply of food and clothing, their own safety in their own houses and cities with walls and fortifications, where would that leave them spiritually? And for us here today in contemporary London, it's a question we must ask ourselves too. Are we aware of the dangers of self-sufficiency? Do we trust so much in ourselves, in our jobs, in our salaries, in our mortgages, our insurance plans, our pensions? Do we recognize that everything we have, everything we work for, is first and foremost a gracious gift from God? Do we think that we are the rightful owner of our money or our possessions? Or do we recognize that God is the ultimate owner? Moses saw the danger the people were in in his day. And I suspect he'd say that we're in at least as much danger today. He saw that before they began this new stage of their working life, they needed to learn some lessons about the ownership of God over all things. So Moses says in verse 10, When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. The expectation is that when the people of God get busy with their work, they run the risk of forgetting that God is God and they are not. They need to be reminded again and again to resist the temptation towards self-sufficiency and instead to depend on the Lord and on his work on their behalf. So he tells them to look back. Look back to what the Lord had done among them while they were wandering in the wilderness. Look back to how he had fed them and sustained them while they had no land to work to produce crops to eat. He gave them manna from heaven each morning, in verse 3. He kept their clothes from wearing out and their feet from getting sore, in verse 4. He looked after them. He provided for them. In fact, he goes further. He even calls this a test. Did you notice that? When we talk about God humbling us and testing us, we tend to think of bad things happening to us. Maybe it's, you know, I got sick, God really humbled me there. Or I had a difficult time at work, God was really testing me there. Here, and often elsewhere in the Bible, it's actually the other way around. God provided for me what I could not provide for myself. He really humbled me there. God fed me when I could not feed myself. He really tested me there. The lesson here is not in the tests of, faith we, uh, tests of faith we face in the challenges of life. The test of faith here is whether we will give God the glory when everything seems to be going well with us. I think of that old cliche, imagine if today you had only what you thanked God for yesterday. It's a cliché, but it's a challenging question to ask. For me, I'd have nowhere to live, no food to eat, no family or friends around me, and I could go on. I think that I've got what I deserve because I've worked hard. I've earned the comfort that I enjoy. I think the credit is mine. And I wonder if you're the same. Remember the Lord, Moses says, Do you feel the challenge of what he's saying here? Do you sense the danger that we're in? Uh, Verse 11, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I'm giving you this day Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your hearts and herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. But, or all verse 17, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors, as it is today. The Lord made everything. He owns everything. We simply work with his raw materials in submission to him at his gracious ordaining. Which brings us to our second principle. Uh, We've had God's ownership over our things Secondly, our stewardship of God's things. And the two ideas go hand in hand. God has ownership over all things. We rely on him for everything, but he has given us stewardship over his creation. It goes back to Genesis 1 and 2 and the job description God gave Adam and Eve as he put them in the garden. Be fruitful and increase in number fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Part of our God-ordained, image-bearing role in the world is to work and to do stuff. But we can only do it because the Lord has enabled it and permitted it and sustained it. Our task is to work in the way God intended with the things he has given us to do. It is to use the gifts of his creation, but never for our own merit or glory, only ever to give thanks and praise and glory to the one who made us and who appointed us as stewards over his things in his world. So the temptation of verse 17, You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. The great Christian apologist C.S. Lewis expressed these principles of ownership and stewardship brilliantly in his famous book, Mere Christianity. He drives this point home with real sharp precision. He says this, Every faculty you have, every power of thinking or of moving your limbs from moment to moment is given you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not in a sense his own already. So when we talk of a man doing anything for God or giving anything to God, I'll tell you what that is really like. It's like a small child going to his father and saying, Daddy, give me sixpence to buy you a birthday present. Of course the father does, and he's pleased with the child's present. It's all very nice and proper. But only an idiot would think that the father is sixpence to the good on the transaction. And we affirm that same truth each Sunday service here at All Souls. We recognize as we take up our collection, all things come from you, O Lord, and of your own have we given you. In his story, Lewis recognizes that the sixpence the son has spent belongs rightly to the father. But he also affirms that the father is pleased with his son's loving and generous use of what he'd been given. The son didn't take the sixpence and bury it in the ground or squander it on sweets in the corner shop. No, the son took the gift and used it as the father intended. It pleased the father. God has given us resources so that we would be good stewards of them. Good stewardship is to use what we've been given by God in the way that he'd intended. And that's why the Bible has so much to say about money. Just think about the teaching of Jesus. Jesus. Our previous series here at the lunchtime service, we were hearing some parables of Jesus from Luke's gospel. There was a man who short-sightedly built for himself bigger barns for his growing harvests, hoarding grain for a future that he would never see. The Lord said, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. And there was a man who lived in luxury every day and ignored the needs of the beggar at his gate Because he had no love for God, he had no compassion for his neighbor. Because he lived with money as his God, he had no space for a life of worship of the living God. He did not recognize the gifts of God and was deaf to the word of God. It's why Jesus said in Luke 16 verse 13, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Money is a God of this age. It will tempt us and lead us astray. If we make it our idol, it will blind us to the truth about God and the truth about us, about his status as the owner and about our role as his stewards. So two principles about money for us to consider and to apply in our own circumstances? What will it look like for me to recognize God as the ultimate owner? And what will it look like for me to use my resources as God's steward, using what I have been given for the good of others and for the glory of God? Verse 11 says, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Verse 18 says, But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so as we close, let me lead us in a prayer. This is a prayer from King David at the presentation of the gifts to the temple from 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Let's pray. Blessed are you, God of Israel, forever and ever, For yours is the greatness, the power, the glory, the splendor, and the majesty. Everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. Yours it is to give power and strength to all. And now... We give you thanks, our God, and praise your glorious name. For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you.